Today's episode was taped before a live audience on Saturday, March 12th, 2022. Regular and major donors to the show were invited not only to watch, but to participate in the show. It was so wonderful to see those of you who came. And for those of you who were invited but missed it, don't worry, we'll be doing another meetup in the spring. And if you love the show and you're interested in live gatherings and two bonus episodes a month, join us. Make a monthly donation through Patreon or PayPal, or make a sizable donation through PayPal, just one time. We'll get you connected, and we'll be thrilled to send you a handwritten thank you note in the mail. This show exists because listeners pay for it. There are links to donate in the show notes, or at thebittersweetlife.net. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today we are going to talk about souvenirs, but not in the way that you're thinking. We are going to talk about almost more the stories behind the things and how sometimes the things that you buy or that are given to you by somebody who went on a trip are things that you regret having. And sometimes they are things that you actually enjoy having. And then there are the things that you wish you had bought that you didn't and all of the things in between. And so, and how sometimes the story about how that object came into your life can color how you feel about the object itself. So that's what we're going to be tackling today. Tiffany, I know that you um, were digging around to find some objects in your home. I've been digging around to find objects in mine. I want to start with something that you regret, either not buying or something that you regret having. Well, we have to go way back, back in time to one of my first times in Italy, long before I moved here, I went in the summer. It was either the summer between my first year and my second year in college or my second and my third year. I can't quite remember, but, uh, I went to Italy and I, for whatever reason, as someone who is not known for her cooking skills, decided that I needed a pasta maker. Uh (laughs) Um, and those things, let me tell you, they're heavy. It was a hand crank pasta maker, big metal thing. I mean, back in those days, I do have to say this would have been the mid to late nineties. You could get away with carrying a lot more in your luggage than you can today, but nevertheless, it was, you know, that's a huge thing to put in your, in your luggage, but I, I wanted it and decided I needed it. So I bought it and brought it back to Boston where I was living at the time and moved it between a couple apartments in Boston. And then I moved to Montreal for grad school. And I lugged it up with me to Montreal and I lived there for a few years. And then I lugged it back down to Boston and I lived there for another couple of years. And when I finally was planning to move to Italy from Boston in 2004 was when I finally got rid of it. Never once having used it. (laughs) Yeah. So it becomes a symbol of your failure, basically. Exactly. Exactly. And I hated looking at it. I hated seeing it. It was like very picturesque sitting on a little cart in my in my kitchen. But it, yeah, it represented the fact that I failed in 
must've been seven years of owning it to ever once even attempt to use it. Yes. And then I think it's a little bit ironic that I sold it when I was moving back to Italy. That is great. Well, you know, your access to pasta was about to increase dramatically. So I think it's okay. <laughs> true. I, I, um, true, true, true. I was, one of the things that came to my mind was actually not something that I bought myself, but it was bought on a trip I was on with a boyfriend in college. And we went to an antique mart of some kind. And Tiffany, before we got on, was cautioning me about telling this tale because she's like, doesn't he listen to the show? And he might. I don't know. But he came across in the bowels of this antique store, this leather cape. And for whatever reason, decided that I needed to have it. And that's so practical. And that, and that it was like the most beautiful thing in the world on me. I thought that it reminded me something of something that his mom would wear. <laughs> and so it was absolutely not my style whatsoever. I have to say, multiple things. One, every single time I wore it, I felt so awkward. Not only awkward, but I felt embarrassed. <laughs> I just felt like everybody was looking at me and being like, why is that woman wearing that gigantic leather cape? Secondly, it became sort of a symbol for me not speaking up for the fact that I didn't want it. You know, I didn't like how it looked at on me and that he had spent all this money on something that I despised. And then Thirdly, I think it also became a symbol of like, why can I not speak up for myself? And is this even the right man for me? <laughs> and, and, you know, we talk a lot about how we have these scripts in our minds about the lives that we're supposed to lead. And then part of life is shedding the script. And I think at that time I was convinced that I was because of my family's history that I should really meet a man I'm going to marry in college. And I was at the end of college and this was the guy that I was dating and I think as a result of it he and I stayed dating for far longer than we probably should have now in hindsight I asked him once what do you think if we'd gotten married back then do you think we'd still be married today and he said oh no definitely not <laughs> so yikes I did get rid of this cape and I did just like you drag it around for years thinking that I needed to have this I don't know, totem of love or something like that. So now, if anybody wants to tell a story, feel free to wave at me and we will invite you in. But in the meantime, I also have a um, story of something I regret that I didn't buy. What about you, Tiffany? Mm. I'm trying to think of something that I regret that I didn't buy. I'm sure there are things. Nothing is coming to my mind right now, except maybe maybe a piece of jewelry. It's always jewelry that I regret not buying. Yeah, right. Well, for me, like when and we talked about this a little bit, when we, when I was in Rome and I was in that big process of trying to recover my open artistic mind after years of being creative on a deadline, I started to notice the color bright pink a lot more, which was a color my mom's here. She would know that bright pink was a color I absolutely adored as a child. In fact, she would probably say that I was absolutely obsessed with the color pink as a child. Um, particularly magenta. And I don't know if magenta was super hip in Rome during 2013, 2014, but it was everywhere. There were bright pink bags, there were bright pink gloves, and the Seattleite in me, the dark, dreary, I only wear black and white Seattleite, was like, I can't buy a pink bag, I can't buy pink gloves, I'll go home and I won't be able to wear them anymore. You know, people will look at me like, why is this woman blinding me with these bright colors? <laughs> and I didn't do it. Uh, and I still regret it. I still wish I had just done it, even if I had never used it, that I had it as a symbol of the time. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, if it makes you feel any better, if you spend any time in Italy, you know that Italy has these strange shops that are like just super focused on one thing and like they only sell like curtain tassels for example um or and there are there are shops that only sell gloves and i'm pretty sure katie and you went with me to buy a pair of gloves I once did. in I rome and i i want to say they were bright pink they I'm were pretty sure they were so maybe i was like just those- green with envy Maybe, maybe you were like, oh, I should get some pink gloves too. I don't have those gloves anymore. I lost them, but I will get some more eventually. But you can, the thing is you can find them. It's not like, oh, pink is out of fashion now. You you can find gloves in any color, leather gloves in Italy. So next time you come, which hopefully will be soon, we'll go get you a pair of bright pink gloves. But am I the same person that would wear the bright pink gloves anymore? I guess that's what we need to decide. We need to determine next time I'm there. (laughs) Looks like uh, Sonny and Mike might have a story. So what I remember when you talk about things that you bought that you might regret, go back to 1964. I had been spending a year in Florence and the guy next to me, (laughs) we have been corresponding. He was my guy. So I wanted to look really nice when I got off the plane. And prior to my departure from Italy, I had some hitchhiking, believe it or not, in those days, it was okay, in Ireland. And I bought a pair of, sorry, everybody, if it's embarrassing, pantyhose. Remember pantyhose? Okay, I bought a pair of sturdy pantyhose in Ireland. Why did I buy them there? Because they were cheap and they were thick and they wouldn't run. And you used to have to replace your nylons every couple of days So this was a big deal for a student without much money, industrial strength, kind of. And then I (laughs) wore my Italian outfit, no more of these American clothes. So straight skirt, kind of a fitted sweater. And I get off the plane and (laughs) I had forgotten that I was carrying 25 pounds of Italian bread since he last saw me and I was wearing apparently orange nylons according to him (laughs) I thought I was so elegant I probably shouldn't have saved a dollar on those uh, orange (laughs) pantyhose from Ireland it was not enticing but we still got together yes when I saw her at the top of the airplane (laughs) stairs I didn't recognize her at first (laughs) one because she was so much bigger but bright orange leggings kind of (laughs) distracted me so yeah I, I think they didn't last long. Yeah. Ill. Maybe they were like her version of the bright pink gloves. I don't know. But you're still married today. And how many years has it been? 57. 57 years. Wow. Very nice. Cool. Thanks for telling that story. Uh, so I'm going to, I want to show, I, I also dug out one other thing. My dad, who's also on this call, will recognize these. These are one of the many different types of sample cards that the postcard sellers in Vietnam used to sell. They used to sell typical postcards, but they used to also sell these slightly nicer silk postcards. They look like they're hand-painted. They are not. But they are, uh, and they're very thin paper. Like, you can see right through them. And I spent a lot of time in Vietnam with the postcard sellers. If you listen to this show, you know that we spent a lot of time with the kids that sold postcards on the streets. And I did a lot of time haggling with them and 
basically, we would just go back and forth making fun of each other, essentially. They knew I wasn't going to buy anything, probably, and so I would just haggle them about their product, and they would haggle me back about my how cheap I am, and it was a lot of fun. And my favorite negotiation ever was over these kinds of postcards, and I was in the town of Hoi An, and I was there with my friend Jill. We were sitting there waiting at a, outside of a restaurant, and a young man approached with a whole pile of these, and started trying to sell them to us. And I don't know what it was about this young man. He was above and beyond hilarious to me because not only was he willing to haggle and joke around, but he was just had such a good sense of humor. And, and I would be saying things to him like, he'll say, okay, I'll give you three of these for a dollar. And I said, three of these? I bought seven of these for a dollar over in Saigon just yesterday. And he's like, seven? If you could buy seven of these for a dollar in Saigon, you introduce me to that seller. I'd like to buy my stock from them. You know, we were kind of going back and forth, like, what a deal. That's impossible. We were going around and around and around. And I guess that this was irritating Jill. <laughs> I don't know. And finally, she just goes, oh, for goodness sake, and reaches in her pocket and just gives this kid two dollars. And he's like, oh, thanks. And he drops three cards on the table and walks away. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> that was little of the most fun negotiation I'd had here ever. And you ruined it. But he was, uh, you know, laughing really hard as he went off. So I only have two of these left. I used to have like hundreds of these. That's uh, how many times I bought these from postcard sellers. But I kind of hold on to these last two in remembrance of that brilliant salesman. Yeah, I think haggling, it depends where you are, whether it's acceptable or not. But I do think haggling can be a big part of the experience of buying souvenirs. I think it sometimes is what, like, you know, in your story, particularly what makes the object so memorable is because you you remember haggling for it. Yeah, you were saying that you remembered haggling over something. Where were you in India? I was in Turkey. I haggled a lot in India. Oh my gosh, a lot. It, that it got to it got to the point where it wasn't fun anymore. But in Turkey, I haggled over a necklace that I bought. It was actually um, a pendant on a chain. I still think I overpaid for it. I did get him down to at least half of what he had originally asked. And it's something that I love and is so beautiful. So I don't regret it, even though I, I do think I probably overpaid for it. And that was a really pleasant experience haggling with him. And, and I was in Turkey for like 10 days. And so I kept going back and I kept going back. It was like a long process. I would think about it and then I would go back and, and finally I bought it. But in India, I got into like a state of paranoia over buying stuff because I, I felt like I was constantly being swindled or I would, they were trying to swindle me. So it, it, it made it an unpleasant experience. Pashminas. That was the main thing that I was interested in buying in India. I was so overcome with this sense of like, is this stuff real? Is this real cashmere? Is it fake? Is it synthetic? Is it, was it done by hand? Is it not? Like, I just felt like I can't trust anyone. I can't trust what these people are telling me. In the end, I did buy several things there. And I do think that they were high quality. I don't know if I got a good price or not, but, um, but one of them I'm wearing right now and I love it. It's warm and it's in good shape. I'm very happy with this purchase, not regretting it at all. Angela, you have a story. I do have a story. When we were in Mexico, probably about 15 years ago, and we were talking about haggling, we had gone on a, a corporate vacation. My husband had won it with a bunch of other people. So we were um, shopping and whatever, and I enjoyed the haggling part of it. 
And every time I'd go into a store, I would come out with nothing or I'd come out with a little bit of something. And we then that night went back to the hotel room and everybody was saying to me, oh, we, we bought this and I paid this amount of money. And I said, oh, I bought the same thing, but I paid $10 cheaper than you did. And they're like, how did you do that? And I says, well, you just have to play the game, right? So it ended up that I went with four different men, came with me haggling one day, and we'd go into stores, and I would have my husband and then this other strange person that I knew, and we would pretend that we were all married, the three of us. And then, so you can imagine all the conversation that we were getting. Well, my first husband said, I can't have it. And then my second husband wants me to have it. And so the vendors were like, just blown totally away. They were like, I can't believe you have two husbands. And one husband says, no, and you're going to listen. And we continued on the, the, the story. And then as we would leave, sometimes they would yell at me. I was an El Chico. And I would keep walking by and then I'd walk out and they'd go, oh, there goes El Chipo. And it was just, it was so fun though. I enjoyed it so much, but, and then we'd go back to the hotel at the nighttime and we'd tell everybody the fun we had with the vendors. Boy, I need you with me next time I go to Mexico. I, I was terrible at haggling <laughs> in Mexico. Thank you so much. Uh, Giamana, you have a story? I do. I mean, I'm Italian, so haggling is like part of the DNA. You never pay retail ever in any shop. <laughs> or market in Italy. But I remember going to India in the 1990s and, and having that kind of an attitude. Uh, but coming from Canada and going to Italy and haggling is one thing. But I remember like reading in my Lonely Planet guide how you're supposed to haggle and to go to the government shops to buy the artisan stuff, you know, which you're paying a fair price. But I remember like going to Sarnath, which was where Buddha preached his first sermon under a Bodhi tree. And there are these really beautiful uh, tablecloths made out of silk. And I was like going to haggle for them. <laughs> During this whole process of purchasing a couple of these gorgeous tablecloths, which are actually bed covers, but I use them as tablecloths. I did the mental math and I thought, I'm just like paying a dollar for these things, which are beautiful. Yeah. And it felt so wrong to kind of be bringing that first world entitled white traveler to India to be haggling with people that maybe are making a dollar a day. I didn't know how much they were making. When I came back to Canada and I saw those, those beautiful table covers in these cute little shops in Calgary, where I live in Canada, there'd be like $25, $40. And I was like, I paid a dollar for this and I haggled for this. It felt so wrong to me to do that anyway. So I, I refuse to now haggle with anybody if I go to a country where I know like the standard of living or the quality of life is so much lower than in a, you know, in a place like in Canada. But uh, I have still no problem haggling with anybody in Italy because I know that they are really trying to rip you off if you are, you know, if you have an accent or, or if you have a, uh, if you look like you have lots of money. And my mother taught me really well to do that. That's so true. Uh, sometimes it's good to overpay. Okay, we'll go to Dale first and then Jill. This is my father, everyone. Dale Sewell. <laughs> so this will be brief uh, about haggling. Yes. Sometimes in Vietnam with those postcard sellers, they'd say $2. And I'd say, no, $3. <laughs> they wouldn't know what to do about that. And then if they got on really quick, I'd say, no, 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 $4. And I'd say, okay, $4. <laughs> That's very good. I love that. Of kind of giving them 
what the last uh, person said is just sometimes they're the poor people, so give them more than they're asking. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's fun to do, too. Yeah, fun and surprising. Very nice. All right, Jill. Hey, everybody. Okay, so a regret of mine, it's not that big of a deal, but artistically, it is. Um, I wish I had purchased more ceramic balloon wall art while I was in a CC recently, because what was supposed to be a very happy wall art display turned out to be really super pathetic. So I'm going to show you. <laughs> um, if you can see the wall behind me. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's such a fun thing, but my plan is this. When I go back, I'm just, no matter where I'm going in Italy, I'll call the vendor and ask if they can ship it to wherever I'm staying so I can add a lot more to the mix so that it looks very happy and not pathetic. So <laughs> that's my story. So you just... You regret not buying enough of them. I regret not buying enough. I just kept thinking, uh, I had another vision of another place for them, which was a smaller place in my apartment. And then when I put them on this wall, it just looks out of proportion. Oh, and I've contacted the artisan, but I think because they just take off for eight months of the year or nine months, nobody's writing back. I can't ship them. And if you Google, you know, if you search for them here in the States, they're quadruple the cost and the craftsmanship is not nearly as uh, nice. So not a big deal in the grand scheme of things, but they certainly make me happy and I look forward to adding more. Very cool. All right, Heather, you're up. I just want to respond to that. I actually live in a CC. So if you ever need help getting some, get my contact information and we can maybe arrange that. <laughs> Thank you so, so much. You're okay. welcome. We will uh, facilitate that if necessary. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, sometimes too, I feel that if I don't, I don't buy a lot in general when I'm traveling around. I'm not, I don't buy a lot in general in general (laughs) um, in life, but oftentimes I don't buy things probably for the same reason, Jill, you didn't buy hundreds of those or something is that I don't want to carry it around either. And so a regret is that I also have from Vietnam, another regret from Vietnam is that in Vietnam, there are these painters who can paint. They basically are just the best at copying real paintings. They must be so skilled. They can make an exact replica of whatever famous painting you want. That seems so cool. Like I could have like an actually hand painted Van Gogh in my house or something like that, but they're just massive. I just don't know who buys these and takes them um, home. But I often am stymied by just sheer size and in an inability or unwillingness to be the person that carries it through airports. I think a lot of people, when they buy large objects, they have them shipped. Oh, is that right? Um, <laughs> yes, I think, I think so. Especially if they're very valuable, extremely large ceramic pieces from Italy are generally going to be shipped. And uh, my mom told me specifically, do not ask me a question. So I won't. But she does have a cool story about a a ceramic piece that she bought in Sicily that she decided not to ship. And she said, okay, we're going to see. It was so expensive. It was going to be like the same price as the object to ship it. And she didn't ship it. Can you tell the story, mom? Do you mind? Well, we were in Monte Vigiano, I think is the name of it. No, it wasn't. That oh, was Cata Girone? Cata Girone in Sicily. And we purchased these um, ceramic 
one's a woman with a beautiful fruit head and the other one's like a lion. We didn't want to pay the horrendous shipping costs. And so they wrapped them very well. And we carried them on the rest of our journey throughout Italy. When we came home, we came on the plane and packed them in the overhead. And, and when we were at Burbank, we came out of the airport and we were waiting for our taxi. And Don put them down on the cement and one kind of slipped and we heard it crack. Mm -hmm. so we got it all the way all the way to Burbank <laughs> safe, safely but not the rest of the way home but you know what I mended it and you can't even tell where it was cracked it looks fine I think that sometimes those little damage damages that happen sometimes can make them I don't want to say more valuable, not physically valuable, but more sentimental because you, you have a memory of that. And, oh, I broke that here. And it makes me remember that. And I remember I had a boyfriend a long time ago who I bought him a, a book of poems by Pablo Neruda. He was a Spanish native Spanish speaker and he spilled his coffee all over it. And I thought, oh no, you spilled coffee on the book. I just bought you. And he got out his pen and he wrote the date. <laughs> coffee spilled on whatever date it was that it happened. And I thought that was so cute because it was like, now, now it's a memory. Yeah, that is cute. And to bring things full circle, it could also be that you look at those broken lion feet and you think, this is really bothering me. <laughs> and, and that's why you end up getting rid of the object. So maybe that's the takeaway. It's all about the approach and your attitude toward it. And to not be afraid to get rid of those things that are sitting around your house that you really don't like for whatever reason, or that you really do love, maybe bring them out more prominently. Well, Tiffany, I, I, we're coming to the end of this exploration. Uh, did we uh, come to any conclusions or takeaways? I would say better to buy something than not to buy it. I don't uh, know. I don't know. I, I don't know what's, I think it's worse to regret something you didn't buy than to regret something that you did buy. I mean, obviously, depending on the cost. But, you know, you can always get rid of something, but it sometimes can be hard to, you know, go back to India and buy that pashmina that you wanted or whatever. That's true. That's true. And I would almost say the opposite. It's just, you know, don't even worry about it. <laughs> if you don't buy it, that's okay. <laughs> whatever. Liz, did you have your hand up before we go? Yeah, I did. I was just, um, when we went on uh, our very first trip to Italy, my dad had been a food broker for his career and he had a relationship overseas with the original owners of the Barrio Olive Oil in Luca. And so he said, when you go over there, you call them up and you say hello. And I'm like, right, dad, I'm going to do that. <laughs> and then he eventually, he actually got me in touch with someone and I called them and emailed and we actually set up to go and meet them when we were going to be in Luca. Hmm. And then it turned out that we did go out to see their factory. And I had visions of, you know, this old Italian family factory uh, not quite people jumping on grapes, but, you know, like that that kind of thing. It was like this square box, super high tech. We had to wear white jumpsuits. It's a modern facility. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but the people were so gracious. They were so lovely. And, and they were like, you know, it's so wonderful that your father had this relationship with my father. And in the end, they gave us some olive oil, one a tin can and one a, a glass bottle in a special case. And uh, my partner and I only had little carry-on bags. That's what we were traveling, you know, rolling bags. Our last stop before leaving in Geneva, uh, Genoa was to go to Rapallo. And there was no place to lock up our suitcases. So we were like rolling around everywhere. And mine tipped over and broke the glass bottle 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, because I was going to take it back to my dad. But at least we got to take back the middle one. Was it inside your suitcase and did it get all over your clothes? Fortunately, it was like on the outside. And so it, it was in the outside pocket and my suitcase tipped over on top of it. You know, we did have to clean the outside pocket, but it didn't actually get into the suitcase. I had a bottle of red wine break inside of a carry-on bag in the Barcelona train station when I was going from Italy to Tarragona. Luckily, it was a small carry-on and there there were not that many clothes in there, but that was frustrating. (laughs) That is less than ideal. Do not travel with wine anymore. Like ever. Yeah, seriously. Or or oil. (laughs) Well, we should leave it there. We should leave it there. But thanks, everybody, for telling your stories. It's fun to actually hear your voices rather than having me read your emails or uh, encapsulate what you say or whatever. It's great to have you join us. And of course, we're going to be sticking around after this episode is over. If you want to say hi or ask a question that's not related to souvenirs at all. But until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. If you love this show, support it. For as little as $5 every month, you get to hear two bonus episodes and even say hello during upcoming meetups online. That's every month for as little as $5. Visit thebittersweetlife.net and click support to explore ways to pitch in to keep this show you love on the air. Thank you.